We'll be reading verses 1 through 17. First Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And we continue hearing God's holy and eternal word. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Thus far in the reading of God's holy word. And also, if you could, um, have, it, have your Psalter opened to Psalter, to Psalm, to Lord's Day 25, as we hope to read um, Lord's Day 25 in connection with this sermon today. Lord's Day 25 begins um, the whole um, lessons on the sacraments. And as we are today hoping to partake of the Lord's Supper, um, we may read Lord's Day 25. It's page 53 in the back of our Psalters. But I'll be reading first, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless... 
Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. And it's from this verse and what the Lord's Supper means that even the word communion is connected to the Lord's Supper. It is also called Holy Communion. Boys and girls, you might, you might be familiar with this phrase, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? These are the phrases that I read every time I am about to thank the Lord for the wine, for the cup of blessing. And we bless that cup. We set it apart so that it may be communicating to us in a spiritual way the blood of Christ, even though it is wine. And then we pray also for the bread and we thank the Lord for the bread because it is the communion of the body of Christ. Even though it is bread, it is communicating to us in a spiritual way the reality that Christ on the cross gave His body for us. This is where those verses come from when I read them every Lord's Supper. And we, we have been having in the course of the last three sermons the theme of communion with God, our fellowship with Him, our closeness to the Lord. And primarily we've been thinking of it in our individual lives, but I've been bringing the reality that communion with the Lord is not just on our own, and it's not just with our families when we have family worship, but it's, it's, it reaches a climax in our corporate worship. Always remember this. Um, eternally in heaven, communion will be corporate. And so here on earth, this is the closest we have to heavenly corporate worship. This is why the Lord's days and the gathering of God's people is so sacred and so special. It is heaven on earth. And in, in the course of these sermons on communion, we, we looked at the delight that we should have in communion, the importance of communion, why this is of great moment in, in our lives. To not just be a Christian, but be a Christian who is in close communion with the Lord. Because this is what we've been realizing. The, the unbeliever has no communion. But among believers, there are some who have more communion, some have less. And why? Why would we have less communion when it is the most desirable grace to be had, to be close with the Lord? In close communion with the one whom we have union. And then we looked at how this communion is possible only through conversion, through salvation. Remember, you must have union with Christ to then have communion with Him. And lastly, we looked at how it is to be done, that it should be regularly pursued, that it should be eagerly maintained. Remember that we should aim for an intimacy with the Lord, even being able to say to the Lord that we love Him and that we praise Him affectionately with, with true and sincere affections. We pour out our hearts to Him. We hold 
nothing back. We keep no secrets because the Lord, we should have Him as our closest friend. Because you can trust Him with everything. He's the one friend closer than a brother that you need not worry. He will never betray you. He will never forsake you. He will never um, speak evil of you. He will never gossip about you. You know, everything he hears of you, yes, he does relate to the Father because he's our intercessor to the Father. And, and this is why in communing through Christ, we are communing with the Trinity, with the triune God. And even as we partake of communion today, this is how we should see it. It's, it's not that now we will talk about the practical ways of communion. We, we've been talking about the practical element of communion all along. Remember, I try to stress that, that even when you see the importance of communion and delight in communion, that's already very practical because it has to start there. You need to desire it to do it. And there's nothing more practical than to touching the very heart. But now what we do, it's not that we're seeing a practical element about communion. It is that we're practicing communion. And what, what I need to make very clear today, I've mentioned it in a couple of the sermons, is you know, as we come to congregate together to worship God, it is an opportunity for this climactic communion. And when we have the Lord's Supper... We have an added blessing. It is an added help. And we shouldn't ever see that this is a preferable service than all the others. Every single worship service is a moment of communion. And the times that we can have a baptism, so it can't be all the times. And the Lord's Supper, it's in a spaced time so that we keep valuing it, so that we can prepare for it. But we need a have this in our minds that what this is, is an opportunity for close communion, for being closer to the Lord. The Lord's Supper is designed to show us the delight that we should have in communion, to thank Him for the communion, and because we have these visual aids that God has allowed us to have. Visual aids are very dangerous. That's what idolatry is made up of. Um, when, when the people in the desert were going to look at, when they wanted a visual aid, they wanted to look at a God, and they asked Aaron to, to produce something, and he produced those ca- that calf. That, that was a visual aid, but we realize that we, we shouldn't have certain visual aids. We, we can easily idolize them. Even, even the bread and the wine is idolized by people if you don't look at it the right way. But God has allowed that we have water, in baptism, bread and wine. These are, these are allowed visible aids. God is, God is giving us a gift to visibly see a symbol of His blood and a symbol of His body. And the purpose is to draw us closer together to Him. But in, in communion, in the Lord's Supper, and even coming together as a church, we realize that, that another element of communion, it's, it's a byproduct of our communion with God, is our communion with one another. It is intricately connected together. This is even what Paul says. He, he's speaking of the communion of the body of Christ and then communion of the body 
the blood and then the body of Christ in verse 17, he says, For we, being many, are one bread and one body, and we are all partakers of that one bread. And we'll be reading in the form this reality as well, that we come and commune with one another. And this communion with one another is, is not like a, 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 a second part of communion. It's just intricately connected with communion with the Lord. Even as we commune with our Savior, we acknowledge that there are others who have been saved by Him, by the same body, by the same blood. And that immediately unites us spiritually, a true unity. And, and before we go to our point one and two, as we look to the text, we see how this passage is so centered upon the whole reality of the Lord's Supper and how this speaks of communion. And so the way we can look at this sermon today in this service as a conclusion of our, of our theme on communion is we are now practicing communion. We are seeing the worship service as an opportunity to commune with God and to commune with God's people. And soon around the table, it is what we're hoping to do. It is communion. Now, as you can be alone or with your family and hear and not have the right heart, communion will not happen when you're just practicing the things that lead to it. You need to always have the right heart and the right faith. It starts with faith. And this is where I want us to go to our Lord's Day 25 and, and we see how this really is a great help for the service today as we look at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Page 53, Lord's Day 25, the first question is, Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. So that's where it starts, by faith. Whence does this faith, faith proceed? Where does it come from? And the answer, from the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. Faith. It starts with faith. And with that in mind, let's look at our text before we read the other questions in the, in the times that we have them parallel with the points that we're dealing. But looking at our passage... Paul starts with four privileges and then he goes to four dangers and then he ends with four graces. And we will see that those four graces are very parallel to the four privileges. So just as an introduction, let me give these four privileges. I I don't put these four privileges as a point. It's still an introduction. We're going to be very brief. Because it is Paul's introduction. It's not really a point. He's just introducing. And and the importance here is to see this this introduction. It's it's just opening, as it were, a big window so that the people whom Paul was speaking to and even the people whom God is speaking to today here in Kenelon, New Jersey, we need to understand this, this is an introduction to show this great reality of who you are as a believer. Paul is very specifically speaking to believers in the church of Corinth, and they need to understand one thing. 
If you're a believer, you have these privileges, whether you, whether you know it or not. And it's important that you know it, because that might be why you're sinning. That might be why you're not taking things in the right way in the Christian walk. And the Corinthians weren't doing that. You, you know that the letter to the Corinthians, it's, it's the letter that contains more admonition, more warning. There were atrocities happening in Corinth that not even among pagan people it was known to be happening. When Paul exhorts them about a sin, he says that doesn't even we don't even hear about that kind of sin among unbelievers. So Corinth was a church that was very needy and a lot of sins going on because the city was a very sinful city and they were easily affected by those sins. It's it's really in a sense a letter for today because we're living in a world that is full of darkness and full of sin. And and the letter to the Corinthians is a letter to to us in our world today and shows how God's Word is so so current because it it sounds like this letter is for us. Because it is. What are these four privileges? In verse 1 he says, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not, I would not, like I desire not, that you would be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses. And then verse 3, he speaks of eating the same spiritual meat and verse 4, of eating, drinking the same spiritual drink. But we can put that in four categories. The, the fathers under the cloud, that speaks of protection and guidance together. Remember that cloud was a cloud that protected them. It protected them not only from the sun, but it protected them from Egypt. Remember that in, as they're passing through the sea, that cloud was between them and the army that was trailing behind. And it's, it's what slowed them down so that they could finish passing through the sea. And once they had passed, that cloud did its duty and the ocean continued what the cloud was stopping. The cloud was stopping the army. The ocean drowned the army. So that cloud guided them through the wilderness and protected them in the sea and also through the wilderness from the heavy sunshine. And then they passed through the sea. So that's deliverance. And then you notice what Paul does. He speaks of that very cloud and that passing through the sea as a type of baptism. It was prefiguring baptism for them. They were were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So it's not just deliverance and guidance and protection. He's bringing the sacraments. And I'm, I'm putting that as the fourth blessing, putting all of this together, because then he speaks of the spiritual food that they ate in the wilderness and the spiritual water. Now notice... They had physical food, the manna, and they had physical water that came from the rock. But, but Paul goes immediately to what that food and that water pointed to, which was a spiritual message. And you notice what is happening. Paul is saying the Israelites, when they were delivered from Egypt, they had the sacraments as a great privilege to them. They had the Lord's Supper in that manna and in that water from the rock. 
And they had baptism as they were delivered and that cloud protected them. And those waters were parted. And they maybe even as they passed through there, they had something of the sprinkling of that water. It's not like they were wet. They, they, they were not immersed in that water. It was the army that got immersed. They just went through in dry ground. But that water round about them and that cloud, that became an emblem of baptism to them. They were united in their mediator Moses who was a type of Christ. It's not that Moses was a savior, of course, but see, even Moses was a type. Even he was a figure. He was a figure of Jesus. God was, of course, the one saving them, but Moses was a mediator for that salvation. So before Paul gives them the four deadly dangers, he starts by saying, you all have these wonderful blessings, and they're all centered in the sacraments, in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now look what Calvin says. I I want to bring him here so you don't think that I'm just a pastor inventing this. I, I don't get this alone. It is from reading commentaries. Look what Calvin says. He treats first of baptism because he mentions Moses, being baptized in Moses. So Calvin says he treats first of baptism and teaches that the cloud which protected the Israelites in the desert from the heat of the sun and directed their course and also their passage through the sea was to them a baptism. He says also that in the manna and the water flowing the rock, there was a sacrament which corresponded with the sacred supper. While therefore the Lord relieved the necessities of the body, like giving them food and water, He at the same time provided for the everlasting welfare of souls. And it is, it is what Matthew Henry says. It is true. Look what he says. Judaism was Christianity under a veil, wrapped up in types and dark hints. This is exactly what Paul is saying. He's speaking to the Christian church, and he's saying, you need to remember what happened to the Old Testament believers. They, they had the Lord's Supper as well. They had baptism. They had the types of it, the figures. Now you have the substance. It was a privilege to them. And and here's the key, beloved. It's a privilege for you today. We have the message of what happened to the Jews. And we see those stories. And we have the essence of the Lord's Supper today. And baptism. Because we see the Messiah who has come. So this is the, the introduction. This great privilege. Let's look very briefly through the four deadly dangers that Paul gives. We're, we're going to look at them very briefly. I'm, I'm basically going to mention them. Um, there's a sermon in almost all of them because they are the key issues of the day. They have been, in a sense, through all of history. So the first thing he says in, in verse 6, now these things, what would happen to the people of God, were examples For what? To the intent, for the purpose, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So the first deadly danger is covetousness. Lusting after things you should not desire. What he is referring to when he speaks of this lust after evil things, he specifically thinking of those moments in the desert and there's one critical one in numbers 11 4 through 6 
where it reads that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And we remember the fish that we had in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And when Moses supplicated to the Lord and even complained in, in saying, why do I have to carry all this people? They, they are too heavy for me to bear. And then God said, tell them to, to sanctify themselves because I will bring flesh, not, not just for one day, not just for two days, not just for five days, not just for 10 and not just for 20 days. But for 30 days they will have flesh to eat. And then remember a wind came from the Lord and brought the quail from the sea and filled that whole area with quail. A whole day's walk in one direction and a whole day's walk on another direction you had kale to gather and quail. And so the people harvested that quail one whole day, one whole night. Because in their minds they're thinking, we need to gather more and we're going to dry it. We're going to preserve it because the rest of the wilderness will just be manna. And, And they were just intent in gathering all that quail. One day, one night, and a whole other day. And they were eating. And as the flesh was in their mouths, we read, that God struck them with a very great plague. And all the people who died there, they, they called the place, the burial place of those who lusted, who coveted. So, so you see what Paul is doing is he's teaching Sunday school stories to the Corinthian believers because they need to remember this history so that they don't sin the same way that they did. And so that was the covetousness. And then in verse 6, we hear the great deadly danger of idolatry. Look at verse um, Verse 6 still, yeah, no, 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And with just those few words, we know exactly the moment Paul is referring to. It's where I mentioned, where when, when Moses was up in Sinai and Aaron was with the people, they wanted to see their God and they gave their earrings and their bracelets and the gold and Aaron produced the golden calf. Now it's very important to see here, Paul is saying nothing of the sin of idolizing that calf. He is speaking of the eating and drinking and rising to play. And and this is very specific because in the greater context here, if we continue reading, Paul is dealing with what was going on in Corinth. and, And we can apply in different ways, beloved. You need to use God's grace, ask Him for help to apply it regarding your own life and what we have to do in this world. But in that Corinthian world, you would be invited to feasts all the time at the temples. And it's evident that the believers were feeling like, well, we won't go to the service, but we don't mind eating with those people. Maybe it's the way to evangelize them. And it was creating a great division among believers. There were believers saying, what in the world are you doing? There were believers saying, I'm not worshiping, I'm just eating with them. And maybe they were rising and playing as well. Maybe there was some dancing and they were going along with the feasts that were inside that temple structure. So Paul will give directions as to 
basically he says, that's where you don't cross the line. Don't go there. That's not where where our business should be. Because who's going to see the difference between the worship and the eating if it's there in the temple? But then he's going to even say, if you go to the markets, buy, buy food. That's okay. See, that meat might be offered to idols. See, there were Christians saying, don't even do that. And Paul makes it clear, no. If your conscience is okay, do it. Just don't ask questions. Don't go investigating where that meat came from. And then Paul will even deal with, well, what if it's in the house of, a, of an unbeliever and he invites you at that home? He, he will give that very specifically um, in verses 27 and 28. And he'll say, go ahead and go and eat and don't ask questions either. But if somebody says that food, that you're sitting down at, at, a, at a pagan's dinner table, that it was offered to idols, and that's the crossing of the line. Don't eat it. Don't make it as if there's no big deal. Now that you know it was offered to idols, don't touch it. And, and the big, the big um, verse, verse 21 shows even where the Lord's Supper comes to bear. And this is what Paul is bringing to the hearts of these beloved believers who are so confused and maybe infiltrating too much into the world of the day. Look at verse 21. He says, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. See, the feast in a temple is a feast for the idols. The idols are nothing, but they're doing it unto devils because there are no gods beyond the true God. So he says, ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So the great danger of idolatry. And then thirdly, he addresses the deadly danger of immorality. Because that idolatry always went side by side with immorality. And look at verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. So, so let's go back to the people in the wilderness and as they have those bouts of complaining that there's not food and then God sends quail and then they complain there's no water. He sends water from the rock. But then there was a moment in Numbers 25 where the Moabite women became a temptation for the Jewish men and they began to commit immorality. And it was great in numbers because we read here, Paul is saying and reminding them that 23,000 died in one day. Just an interesting fact, in Numbers 25, we read 24,000 died. It's 1,000 more. These are the kinds of situations where the critics of God's word use the example to say, look, the, God's word has discrepancies. And when, when they say that, they even betray how not, they can't be serious. Because a thousand people more or less does not discredit all of scripture. And you, you, you can see how simple this can be um, dealt with. Here, Paul is saying, in one day, 23,000. Some commentators say the simple definition, explanation is Moses described how many died regarding that whole sin, 24,000. And Paul is making clear, yes, and of that, in one day it was 23. That's how serious that sin was, that God brought discipline 
to 24,000 people. 23,000 in one day died because of sexual immorality. Why did this matter to Corinth and why does that matter to you and me? Well, because Corinth, of all cities in, in Greece, was perhaps one of the most immorally corrupt cities in the Greek peninsula. It had the temple to Venus. Venus means lust. And it had over a thousand priestesses. And their services were always connected to immorality. And we read other places where Paul to the Corinthians is saying to flee immorality. Because that was going on. And the, and the great sin that wasn't even heard among pagan people had to do with immorality. So that's the third deadly sin that he is speaking of. And you see why I say deadly? Because God was punishing people because of these sins. He was bringing discipline upon them. And, and, and you see the parallel here. The very next chapter will be chapter 11. Paul will deal with the Lord's Supper that they were also not observing it the right way. And remember, there's that verse, verse 30, that says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So see what was happening. There were people in Corinth dying because they were despising the Lord's Supper, and they were full of sin in their hearts and partaking. And Paul is reminding them God has dealt with his people before this way. So be careful, repent. And and why does it apply to us? Because we are surrounded with a Corinth-like environment. And, 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 And you know it. And so it's so easy among believers to start being influenced by this immorality. And we need to be reminded that God can discipline immorality in ways that hurt. In ways where people's lives are affected. This is what God's Word is saying. Be careful. These are examples to our warning. And then... The discontentment is the fourth and last deadly sin here, um, deadly danger. In verse um, 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. I'm putting those two events together because when they, when they tempted Christ and they were destroyed of serpents... What they were doing in that event was another murmuring, another complaining. And verse 10 sees, Neither murmur, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. There were other events that they were murmuring, and God also brought destruction. But let's go to that one, where they were bitten by serpents. Remember, boys and girls, that day, that day where they complained, and then serpents came and started to bite people? And they were dying because of the poison. Well, it's important to know what they complained about that one time. Some people believe that could have been the apex of their complaint. The worst complaining. Because that time they weren't just saying that they wanted food because they didn't have any. It wasn't that they were saying they wanted water because they had none. They were complaining about the manna. But they weren't just saying... All we have is manna. That was the one time that they actually said, what we have is this light bread. They complained about the manna. The word light bread can also be translated this worthless food, this insignificant food, this wretched food. See, what had happened is that they had grown tired of the miracle. 
That's the food that saved their lives. And now they were taking it for granted. They, they were so familiar with it. They wanted another kind of food. But they forgot that if God were to take that food and give them nothing, it would go back to the wilderness with no food and they would die. But they dared call it a worthless thing. And we just read what Paul said, that they were being fed spiritual food. So they had the type of Christ, and they were complaining about the type of Christ. Now, of course, you could argue and say, well, they didn't really understand it, but God dealt with them as if they did. He took their lives. Thousands of people died being bitten by those serpents. And so, beloved, think think of... Remember, Paul's going to go in chapter 11 and talk to them about, hey, they were not dealing right with the Lord's Supper. And that applies to us today too, beloved. If, if we have sin in our hearts that we are harboring, that we are planning to continuing in, that we have no desire to repent of, but we look at the Lord's Supper and partake as if it's no big deal. See, these things were written to be an example to us. This is what Paul was telling the Corinthians. So it's New Testament reality. And we are living New Testament realities. Discontentment is a very grievous sin. And this leads us to the four living, life-giving graces. Life-giving graces. And I'll just start now, and then I'll continue a couple of them during our partaking of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 still speak of of not murmuring, and then 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So he reminds us that these are examples for us to listen to, to warn us, and look at 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed lest he fall. That's life-giving grace number one. Humility. Humility. Beloved, as you read this list of dangers, covetousness, immorality, idolatry, discontentment, if you look at those and you think, those are no problem for me, you're the very one who thinks that you stand. So take heed lest you fall. You understand what Paul is saying. If you, if you see other people who are perhaps tottering in these areas of covetousness, immorality, idolatry, discontentment, and you judge them harshly, see, you're the one standing. And you're seeing them falling and you're, and you're talking bad about them. You're not dealing generously, kindly. You're not, you're not being a listening ear to maybe hear their confessions or trying to go to them because they need your help. You're, you're, you're thinking, I'll never do those things. So you're, you're exactly the one who thinks that you stand. And Paul is saying, take heed lest you fall. So the first word is humility. And, and what I want you to understand is all of this is centered around the Lord's Supper. He's, he's going to show this. He showed us at the beginning the privileges centered around the sacraments, not just the Lord's Supper, baptism in the Lord's Supper. But we're going to see that all this will lead to the Lord's Supper. 
Because the first one is humility, and then he'll go to a few others, and then it's the verse that we read about the cup of blessing which we blessed and the, commun- and the communion in the body, uh, the bread, which is the body of Christ, the bread which we bless. As we partake, beloved, may, may this sacrament work in your heart the blessing of humility. Think of how true this is. For you to come, you must be humble. For you to partake, you must be humble. For you to truly commune with the Lord Jesus through this sacrament, you must be humble. And when you leave, you must be humble. If you come thinking, I can come because I'm good, I can come because I'm worthy, I can come because I'm perfect, then you're not humble. The Lord's Supper is for humble people for people who confess their sinners, for people who confess Christ is your Savior, for people who confess I need to eat and drink of Christ or I die, for people who are confessing even your sins as you partake because you're remembering more of them. And that's all humility. That's all brokenness. So humility. But then there's hope. That's the second life-giving grace. Look at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So, verse 13 is speaking all about hope. Now, notice how precious this is. We were just told how we need to be careful not to think we stand because we might fall. So there's the danger of falling, and we're worried about falling. And then God comes with a message of hope. And He's saying, just because there's a danger of falling doesn't mean you have to fall. Because no trial, no temptation will be too great. And then there, there's, there's three um, it's a threefold hope right here. Number one, that all temptation that will come is, is always common to mankind. Never, ever, ever feel that the temptation that you're experiencing is greater than anyone else ever felt. God will never give you a trial that is greater than you can bear. That's the second thing. And the third thing is that every temptation and every trial that comes there will be a way of escape. You need to find it. It's there. These are, these are promises. See, it's a threefold hope. Even though we need to be careful not to fall, God is saying, don't feel like you have to fall. You don't have to. The temptation you're receiving is not greater. It's common to all people. You will be able to bear because I know who you are. I will never give you something greater than you can bear. And there will be a way of escape. Now keep that in mind. That way of escape is, is exactly where, where the text is leading. We're going to find where that way of escape is. And then thirdly, I'll give this third one, verse 14. We, we can say it's holiness. So the first Grace is humility. The second is hope. The third is holiness. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And, and, And this is how I want to leave you as we come soon to partake of the Lord's Supper. He said that there's a way of escape. 
So you have that as a focus. And now he says, flee idolatry. This is where you may be. There's an idol that you're contemplating, you're bowing to. You need to flee that. Well, find the way of escape and flee to that. And the very next portion are all those words about the Lord's Supper, which, of course, is a summary of Christ. And especially the cross. That's where you flee to, to be holy. That's why I call this holiness. If you're to flee all kind of idolatry, you are mortifying sin. And when you mortify sin, you're being holy. So the third one is holiness. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we'll look at the fourth, which is the Lord's Supper itself. Let us, let us pray, and then we'll be reading the form and asking the Lord for help to partake. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God Almighty, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee, Lord, for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We thank Thee, Lord, for having given us the Lord Jesus, that we can now see emblems before us of who He is. And we pray that even as we partake, that Thou would be giving the graces of humility, of hope, and of holiness so that we may fight against all covetousness and immorality and idolatry and all discontentment. Lord, we pray that Thou would forgive us of all those sins and prepare our hearts to partake, Lord, with great gratitude as we see in Christ the one grace to deal with all dangers and to pardon all sins and to strengthen us in all weaknesses. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.